0: Good day and thank you for tuning in to KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. I'm your host, Katherine Grady, and today we have not one, but two wonderful guests that have offered to share their perspectives on teaching during the pandemic. Do you remember a teacher that was so special? I would like you to meet my inspirations and guides, Eric Sari and Jen Grady. Jen Grady is a middle school teacher at the Nova School in Olympia, Washington. She's also a cellist, singer, songwriter, and has been touring and recording as a musician for 15 years, including in the band You Are Plural. You can listen to some of her work on Discogs.com and SoundCloud, where she, in her and Eric Series band The Overcasts, is the lead vocalist in their splendid album A Narrow Window, released just this past August. Her partner, Eric Sari, is a K-12 arts educator, professor at Evergreen State College, and artist and graphic designer. Proficient in his work, Sari features his uniquely framed pieces from posters to Polaroids to 3D artifacts, detailing the production, location, and materials used, in his pieces on his website, ericsari.com. Good afternoon, Jen and Eric. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank
1: you. It's
0: good to be here, Catherine. Awesome. Well, thanks for making the time to let me interview both of you. Uh, As a student, I'm really excited to speak with you to hear a first-hand account from the other side of what it's like to be a teacher experiencing remote learning. And so I know you are a professor and are not teaching right now this fall, but I was thinking it would be cool to get your input on what it was like to transition from in-person to online learning
1: yeah so just last spring um there was a big shift in public schools of course when COVID-19 came on the scene in February people were tracking it um but it wasn't until March to April when the shutdown happened that public schools really responded and to respond to students in, in an equitable way It just shut down. We took a three-week hiatus almost a whole month and that gave the schools time to assess the context of learning and that gave um, families the ability to um, reach out to schools and ask them if they needed uh, help with internet costs or if they needed um, lunches for their children if they need things that we would normally rely on uh, for our schools to provide but um, we were able to um, connect families with resources so that their students could then restart. And that restart really did not happen until about the middle of April um, and um, and through May. And May and June we were in full force this last spring and we were teaching online and I was able to um, teach three art classes remotely um, per day. Mm -hmm. And that was a challenge. Um, But mostly dealing with um, students, um, the accountability of students to do the work we were asking, um, and also being able to explain what our expectations were to everybody in a way that we didn't um, ask some students to do things um, with art and materials that they didn't have access to, or that they we actually gave them the ability to succeed in the assignments that we are giving to them. That was probably the biggest challenge.
0: Yeah, I bet. Yeah, so teaching English and other core subjects is difficult as it is, but, like, how are you, or how were you managing to teach a creative course like art online? Like, what things did you Mm -hmm. have to do differently?
1: Well, fortunately, PPS and some other resources um, gave us, prompts and ideas. Um, There's things called visual thinking strategies or VTSs. And Mm -hmm. um, PBS put together um, some strategies for students to go outside their hole and do strategies that involve looking at their world going to a quiet place writing and drawing down what they were observing and seeing and hearing. And those were things that they could do with a pencil and a piece of paper anywhere. They didn't have to have special art supplies. And, um, essentially we were able just to connect them to online resources that, um, trusted, um, news organizations and, um, creative spots like PBS had put out there already so that, um, they were also connected to things that other students were doing elsewhere. Um, of course, we came up with our own prompts, our own VTSs, or visual thinking strategies. Um, but often we would rely on ones that other teachers were creating. And I believe that you don't really need to reinvent the wheel. Um, and in some ways, if they hashtag something online, they can see what other students are doing elsewhere and they feel oh, more connected. Cool
0: that's awesome yeah i can definitely see how you can apply some of that just to your real life especially in being cooped up inside for so long just being able to go in your backyard and really pay attention is so important Mm -hmm.
1: yeah there was a lot of different ways that we could get students to look at their bedrooms and their homes
2: Mm -hmm.
1: in new and exciting ways and um, and students were actually very eager to share aspects of their home life that, that we wouldn't be, have been able to see before, um, when we, before we did remote learning. Um, often, the context of school has its own distraction. So for some students, they actually found um, more clarity and um, were able to function somewhat um, more focused at home. So, um, But for others, there's sort of a sadness of what, what came with COVID, not seeing your mm-hmm. friends and not having sometimes regular meals the way that you could at yeah. school with lunch lunch programs and things. So um, I think for each student, it was very different, but there were definitely some cases where um, even at something like art class, we were able to succeed um, and have been able to succeed because um, we managed our expectations and we also tried to um, get students to use resources that they had readily available at their home.
0: Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, I can see how it would be difficult. Um, So, I guess, what do you like and dislike about teaching online?
1: Um, I feel like the ability for me as a teacher to read the room, it's it's Mm -hmm. a little hard. I actually consider myself to be an empathic teacher, somebody that can see nuances and how students are sitting, how their posture is, where their eyes are oriented, um, how they're holding their pencil. All of these things tell me how they're feeling that day. Um, Mm. It's a bit harder to read the room when um, I'm just looking at it as a computer screen with Mm. all these windows of students, and some of them are blacked out. That doesn't give me much information to go on. Oh, yeah, that's Um, good. It's harder for me to pause and and. In teaching, finding moments for pause and to ask students to um, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying or for them to feel um, free to interrupt or write it in the chat that they don't understand where I'm going um, so that I don't, I don't want to leave anybody behind. I don't want to get ahead. Um, but I also, it's, it's definitely tricky to, um, to read the room. Um, So I would say that's probably the the most tricky part or difficult part of um, learning, uh, remote learning in this time. Um, A success would be, or um, something that's good that's come from it, like I said before, is probably the comfortability that some students have with being home Mm -hmm. and that they are able to focus better. There's less distractions in the room around other students Um, and they're able to share aspects of their home life. Maybe they have a favorite animal or a pet that it actually brings them a lot of comfort. Oh, nice. That they can keep, keep by them or near them while they're learning. And that's something that you wouldn't have been able to do before at school.
0: Yeah, for sure. I've seen that in my own classroom. And have you experienced, like, do you think it's quieter or, like, there's more kind of silences when you ask questions? I've kind of experienced that in my classes online. Are you having that problem?
1: I am, and part of that has been um, students in classrooms in, uh, in general, um, I think even before remote learning, you don't want to just isolate a student in the room and ask and call on you know, somebody specifically and be like, hey, what's this answer? Yeah. You also don't want to just um, ask a giant open-ended question to the room often what we have to do in remote learning which is very similar to um in-person learning is get them to pair up um, we used to call them parent shares but now we just call them breakout rooms yeah and um if students can go into breakout rooms with two or three other people um i find that there's a magic number with three students mm-hmm. um, or four max um that can be in breakout rooms then they're more likely to talk and then i'll just hop around between breakout rooms um the big important piece of that puzzle though, is that what we're asking them, the prompts and questions that we're giving them, they have to be juicy or relevant yeah. to, so that the students want to talk. And I think that was always important, but it's even more important now.
0: Yeah, I definitely relate to that myself as a student. And that's good to see your perspective. Cause I've noticed how like in the bigger breakout rooms, um, I think some kids are assuming others will answer the question, and so they just keep their camera off, and, um, it's kind of awkward silence, so that's, in, that's a good idea for, like, the perfect three, I think I can apply that to my life, too, and I've noticed that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, all in all, it, there's, there's definitely some negative sides of remote learning, and, um, but I feel like as long as we remember as teachers and students, administrators and school workers that we're all in this together, that there's there's difficulties with me teaching from my home. Like I don't feel like that is exactly easy. It, just like it is difficult for them to learn from their home sometimes. And that if we can share in the difficulties as well as our successes, that we will have more of a community community-minded perspective when we walk into school each day which is physically walking into school but sitting down and having like a learning growth mindset.
0: Yeah well that's great and it's really important to keep the positivity because um, I think a lot of students probably think that maybe their teachers have it um, super easy but they're getting overloaded and so Mm-hmm. I thank you for sharing your perspective. I think that was helpful for a lot of students um, listening to hear, and me included. And yeah, so thanks, Eric. Of course.
1: of course, I'm happy to be here and answer these questions. So, thank you for the time today to talk.
0: <laughs> okay, so hi, Jen. How are you?
2: I'm doing well. How are you doing, Catherine?
0: Good, thanks.
2: Yeah, so I teach sixth, seventh, and eighth grade at an independent school in Olympia.
0: First is where did you go to college, and then do you think it would be easier or harder to teach remotely now versus it would be then?
2: So I went to the Evergreen State College, um, and I think it would have been pretty challenging to have taught remotely back in 2005 just because of the technology Mm. that um, we had access to then. Um, I think it would have been probably a bit more like, you know, stopping off at school and picking up kits, Mm. having more like, pamphlets and things like that. So probably doing things, um, you know, more independently without the assistance of technology like we have it today.
0: Yeah, I bet. I bet teaching, like, core subjects is already difficult. Um, Just English alone, from my experience, is difficult to do or like tests to do tests without the teacher thinking oh you're gonna cheat and that kind of thing but since you teach some creative classes like strings and choir that must be even more difficult do you want to describe how that's like
2: yeah it's really pretty challenging because everything that I teach You know, in the regular classroom, it's so responsive to like what I'm hearing from the students usually. Mm -hmm. So, like, being really responsive to whether or not like a student is playing in tune or singing in tune, and you know, kind of catering all of my exercises around that. But there's also um, fundamentals that everybody has to learn um, during the middle school years. And so, I've just been focusing on a lot of those you know, techniques that are essential for singers or for string players. Um, and also having them submit recordings for me. And we're pretty lucky that we have things like Flipgrid and Screencastify, you know, these.
0: Mm, yeah, programs I that use They can
2: easily capture um, on their computers. And so I have them do little mini recordings so that I can check in with them. And then I write, you know, individual comments for them. And um, also just not approaching my classes in the same, like, scaffolding way that I would in person, like, we're not playing to concerts right now, so in some ways that's pretty, it's pretty nice because we aren't, you know, practicing for performances, instead we have, I have some freedom to spend extra time on theory or music appreciation, like, have them write their own music as well, so I'm trying to be really creative about getting them to just think about, um, these are kind of more interwoven into their lives beyond just as a performing
0: art. That's good. So, that's kind of what Eric was yeah. saying about adapting the courses to applying it to real life. And I think that's really yeah. important. Um, as a student, I, it's difficult to be on Zoom for a while. And I bet as a teacher, it's just as difficult, if not more so. And so doing something that would people would think it's worth your while, I think is a really good idea.
2: Yeah, yeah, and also, you know, because we are on Zoom, you know, normally when you have a guest speaker, like, you know, you, they come into the classroom, and mm-hmm. so they might be driving from various places, and so one really cool thing about Zoom is that you can actually have some pretty awesome, um, you know, more knowledgeable others, like I'm gonna have a series of uh, musicians coming, and doing, you know, some question and answer time about like them being professional musicians and students will get to ask in real time about how it is to be a touring musician, you know, beyond the time of COVID, obviously, because a lot of, those of the musicians aren't currently working like they used to. But just, you know, being able to share some um, real life experiences with the students. Whereas, again, I think during, especially during this time of year, which is, Coming into the winter season and right before the winter break, we usually have um, a couple of concerts during this time, and mm-hmm. so that would have been our main focal point, but now I get to um, have them interview, you know, local musicians and things like that. So just, again, being creative with, with how it is that we're, we're spending our time together.
0: That's really cool. Yeah, so how do you keep things organized for your students and yourself?
2: that's a great question um I'm pretty old school I have like an old um you know I just have like a notebook that I'm constantly writing notes in anytime I'm teaching um and you know calendars kind of Mm -hmm. the basic stuff but I do everything by hand I don't really do it on the computer and I think I used to do more of it on the computer before teaching remotely but I'm trying to get myself off of computers as much as I can so I kind of do it old school, just writing in my notebook and making notes for myself. And, you know, I kind of do backwards planning. So I'm always thinking, you know, months ahead and then working my way backwards. So there's, you know, thinking again, we'll probably do not an actual concert, but do a virtual concert. And so getting prepped for something like that takes quite a bit of planning time and getting students used to recording themselves and being comfortable with that. So, hence, you know, all the little submissions that I'm having them do currently with their music, so that way they're just feeling comfortable once we do some bigger pieces, and we'll create a virtual um, orchestra, virtual band, and a virtual choir.
0: Oh, cool. But,
2: yeah, so staying organized for myself, I mean, if I could show it to you, it's literally just <laughs> notebooks and calendars.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I do, yeah. and I feel like you can kind of trust it more, because so much stuff can get jumbled on your computer.
2: yeah. And, you know, for our students, we use Google Classrooms, and it's mm. so intuitive to use. And it's really, you know, visually, I feel like it's a pretty easy platform to organize. Um, and I I have um, Google Slides for all of my lessons, so that way students can come back and kind of review over what it was that we talked about and, and visually see everything once again. So I leave copies of that for students in their classrooms as well, just so...
0: Oh, that's um, I can good.
2: Kinda see week by week what's been happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. I bet. Um, oh, there's. I definitely know that there's some students that are kind of scared of asking questions. So that's really important. What troubles have you run into? And I was just wondering, like, with choir, how do you teach choir online? Because you know it's like singing in unison. Like, has anyone like glitched out, or how do you really work that? Oh,
2: um you know, with choir, again, because I, we're not all in the same space with one another, what I try and do is make recordings of individual parts. So, And, you know, I'm at the middle school level. And so, generally speaking, we'll do three-part harmony um, in when we're in person. But I've scaled it back to doing more two-part harmony. Um, and I have, um, currently, I just have one choir this year. And so, in some ways, I was lucky that the ranges, like I just have altos and sopranos. So we're just doing two-part harmony pieces together. And um, so I make recordings of their tracks, but then also, you know, I'm always singing either part for them during our rehearsals. And I just kind of have to trust that on the other side that they are doing the preparations to be prepared for each class. Mm-hmm. And again, with those recorded submissions, like they'll, they'll submit things to me, and then that way I can kind of see which sections of the music we need to review. Um, and, you know, again, just kind of trusting the process that all of the scaffolding I'm doing on my end and being really clear with directions on what it is they, they need to do each week and getting those like mini recordings, it kind of helps me to have some checks and balance of seeing, like, okay you know, is the song working, is it not working? Whereas in the classroom, I would know immediately. So Mm -hmm. that's certainly the most challenging part, is just being more patient on my end. Um, And again, taking some time to do theory and music appreciation, you know, talk about world music, listen to songs and just do song analysis, do some songwriting, Um, it's a little bit more varied than, than what we used to do in the classroom. And my choir is a little bit different, probably than even the schools on Mercer Island. Like we only meet um, one day a week, so it's oh, pretty yeah. brief. And so because of that, I do get to assign some outside of class time work that we're they're doing on music. Um, but it's I would say it's certainly an extra hurdle that I have to have. I wish I could see them every day. I think it would be a
0: lot easier if I could do that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. Um, I know you teach You teach from 6th to 8th grade, right? Uh-huh. How do you keep things interesting for the younger students or students with get bored easily or maybe have some learning difficulties?
2: Yeah, yeah. So in my strings, in my band, I have a just 6th grade group. Um, my choir is mixed at 6th, 7th, and 8th. Um, and what I do um, in my choir specifically, like, to keep it interesting for the younger ones. And I mean, all of it's brand new. So I would say my sixth graders are probably pretty set on it being like challenging and interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely feel like I'm more of the warm demander type where I like to give challenge more than, you know, do things the easy way. Um, And so I have my eighth graders be, you know, more kind of like mentors to the younger students. Um, They're often helping me out with, you know, talking through the theory with the students. Um, or even in breakout rooms will be leaders in those sessions. But then in my um, strings and, and band, I have a seventh and eighth grade. Uh, and I just, you know, again, with my eighth graders, I have, you know, I already kind of know at what level they're playing at. And so I, I try and make it challenging for them. So they might have like solo parts or be playing the first, um, in, you know, in, in band or in orchestra will have like first violin and second violin or, you know, first um, saxophone part or
0: second saxophone part. So I just, I give the first part to a lot of my older students and then have the um, younger students play the supporting part. So I try and, um, yeah, divide it up in those ways. Nice. Yeah, that's a good way to incorporate everyone. I think the incoming yeah. students, you know, starting the year off online, it's kind of scary yeah. as it is being the youngest. Oh, yeah. So that's a really good way to approach it
2: the younger ones where they you know maybe they've never been in a choir before or a band before and and so for me too a lot of it is just about community building in this mm-hmm. remote learning um i think that's probably the most important part so i spent a good few weeks in all of my classes just you know making sure of having opening questions and talking more about um, ourselves and even you know learning music straight out of the gate certainly kind of got them used to me by having like my set exercises that I do each class so they kind of could get the ritual of my class like when they come in we do stretches and we do exercises and then we start to work on some music but in the first couple weeks I definitely would integrate like hey let's talk about um you know books that we're reading right now or you know, tell me a little bit about something you'd be doing outside on the weekend when you have your free time, you know, and just doing some sharing like that so we could get to know one another. But I found once they started talking quite a bit that, you know, then the music playing became easier and easier because they were just feeling more comfortable. So that was nice.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think the stretching yeah. is really a good idea because we're sitting so much, even more, probably, because we're not walking between oh, yeah. classes. And then, I make all of my classes stretch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's and good. It, it's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think my teachers, I, um, could definitely see how your strategy could apply to my life because I've noticed the teachers that have been kind of more open or spent more time just talking to the students and having the students talk to each other, there was less of that mm-hmm. awkward silence, cameras off kind of thing, so that, yeah. that's a good approach. I guess the last question would be just, like, what advice as a teacher do you have for your students and families and, like, l- working from home, that kind of thing? Yeah.
2: You know, I mean, my goodness, I think all of us are just trying to navigate it the best way that we can, and I recognize everybody's household and family life is so different. So um, I think the I'm just going to share advice that I tell myself is, um, one, that this is something we've never experienced before, um, and so just being gentle with ourselves. Um, I think all of us are going to have weeks that are harder than others. And so I just try and be, you know, just really honest about where I'm at in the respects of, like, you know, allowing myself in those weeks where I'm feeling like, well, this is really hard, um, that I remind myself that it's about me connecting with my students and um, getting to know them and having them have a space where they feel really safe and and that it's fun. Like, music at its, you know, core Mm -hmm. to me is, like, it's such a joyful pursuit and mm-hmm. so um, I just have to remind myself back to like the essence of like why it is that I'm teaching and why it is that I love being around especially middle schoolers um, so much because they, they are really starting to discover who they are and what type of music they like to listen to and you know kind of defining some of those those um you know like advice to students in general would be trying to find some sort of balance in your life um, you know, if we're spending X amount of hours in front of a screen, like allowing yourself X amount of hours off of a screen and trying to find, you know, some sort of, you know, craft or hobby that you like to do um, that doesn't involve screens in some way. I think, again, we're in unknown territory here. And so I think, you know, the amount of hours that we are spending on either just devices, either phones or computers, it's, it's really exhausting. I kind of think of Zoom time as, like, for every hour of Zoom, it feels like two hours.
0: Mm, for sure.
2: <laughs> in real time. And so if there's any way that you can get outside, and go for a walk in nature or, you know, read a book or, you know, also maybe push back a little bit on your teachers, too, do <laughs> you advice I have for students. And, and, you know, encouraging teachers to try and um, find projects that don't involve a computer.
0: Oh, that's a good idea.
2: I think it's really... Um, I try and think about that a lot with my students. Is like, how can I get them to do this task without having, you know, being able to step away? And so, providing them with with um, books or with um, sh- you know sheet music that they can just look at on the music stand and not on the screen. I think it's really nice to give their eyes and their, their brains a little bit of a break. Mm. But probably biggest advice overall is just be gentle with yourself. This is hard. Mm. It's hard for everyone. So you know, talk with your friends, um, connect with people as as well as you can, you know, write a letter to someone <laughs> that you really love, you know, find ways that you can still connect, um, and just know that we're all gonna make it through it. Um, it's, just, uh, it's just challenging for Yeah. Everyone. So be kind and compassionate to one another.
0: Well, thanks Jess. You and Eric have both created a really nice home for your students to learn online effectively so thanks for sharing all that advice I can definitely apply that to my own life and I can see how a lot of students listening in could definitely use that so thanks it was nice to hear from you
2: yeah great to talk with you anytime Mm -hmm.
0: awesome yeah and
2: you know keep asking questions of your teachers at your school too and um yeah you know I think we're, like I said before, we're all kind of in uncharted territory, so I think we're all learning from each other as we do this, so some ways you can kind of see that as an exciting time of, like, you know, helping out your teachers and and as well, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, we're all in this together, and it's important to be positive. Thank you for tuning in to KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. I am your host, Katherine Grady, and that was Jen Grady and Eric Sari telling us what it's like to teach during the pandemic. Tune in for more episodes on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge, and have a great day.